0: Alright, how we doing everybody? It is 5-15-19. I'm your host, Will Reddington, and welcome to another episode of Red Talk. So much going on in the sports world this week. I'm going to try to get to it all. Nick Wheatley is here. We're going to preview the NBA Conference Finals and check in on the MLB. Dustin Fowler and Brian Deviner here. We're going to preview the PGA Championship, give our picks and sleepers, and talk about our favorite Tiger Woods memories. I can't wait, but before we do, our show is brought to you by O'Shea's Irish Pub. It's Wednesday, so that means $3 sliders after 6 at O'Shea's. The Buffalo Chicken is by far my favorite. Stop in for dinner at either the downtown or the Bardstown Road location. All right, let's get it going. Nick, it's great to have you here. These NBA playoffs have been awesome. One of the best of our lives. Let's get right into it. What's your favorite moment of the playoffs so far?
1: Uh, I'm going to have to go with Dame's 37-foot dagger against the Thunder. I love to see uh, Damian Lillard just send Russell Westbrook home, especially after the trash talk that went back and forth, um, and then just pulling up from the logo right in Paul George's eyes. I thought it was awesome.
0: Yeah, that uh, that was very cool, man. That's the one that I think has stuck out the most, along with the uh, infamous Kawhi shot now. Uh, I think those are, are definitely the two moments that you turn back to. The Lillard shot. Was, is just insane it, and Paul George calling it a bad shot and him just kind of shrugging it off like actually I practice those all the time I shoot 40 percent from 35 feet plus I mean it's just insane were you uh
1: cheering for the Blazers in that series I was cheering for the Blazers um I'm not a big fan of Russell Westbrook probably my least favorite player in the NBA so I was hardcore cheering for um cheering for Dame to just hit
0: that and taken home. It's impossible to not like and appreciate the Blazers, I feel like, if you're just a casual basketball fan because their two guards are superstars and they are both mid-major players. One from Weber State, one from Lehigh. I mean, if you need motivation anywhere, it's those two guards right there for Portland. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. The Kawhi shot is what stood out the most to me. I was a big fan of the 76ers in this series for A bunch of reasons, but uh, it it was really tough watching that ball hit the rim as many times as it did and uh, ended up going in Um, really crazy how captivating Game of Thrones is. I just want to say that because we (laughs) had three TVs on when that happened. And I am my eyes are glued to the TV. There's four seconds left in a game seven, and the Raptors are inbound on the ball. So I, I know Game of Thrones is great, but I'm I'm watching the Raptors game in the bottom right corner. Kawhi hits that shot. I'm in a room of six people. Nobody reacts except me. <laughs> Nobody sees it. Everybody's like, "What? What? I'm like you all really just watched you know a, a one minute clip of the middle of a Game of Thrones episode and just couldn't glance down at this bottom TV? It happened in front of you, and you didn't even pay attention to it. Game of Thrones." the most captivating show on television. Where were you for the Kawhi shot?
1: Uh, I was doing the exact same thing. I was in my room watching Game of Thrones on my TV and I had the, I had the Kawhi shot pulled up on my laptop playing and I didn't even see it until about two minutes after it happened. Really crazy shot. Uh, absolute hero in Toronto now I
0: really wonder if that plays into his free agency role at all now that he has a moment like that I mean that it's odd to say but it it was the best moment in Raptors franchise history him making that shot um easily they've never been this far and Vince Carter maybe minimal playoff success for Vince but I mean other than that I mean, DeRozan and Lowry obviously didn't get to this point ever. So it's just, it's crazy to think that that was the best moment in the history of the Raptors franchise because I feel like they've always been pretty good since we've been alive and fans of basketball. But um, really crazy. A few other things that stood out. I, I was on the wrong side of the Warriors Rockets thing uh, to the maximum. Uh, but Steph's barrage in game six was very cool, uh, kind of him showing that he can still do that and still run his home team and go nuts in that way. K D having two hundred points in a five game span is just absolutely nuts. That that stretch where he was dominating the Clippers towards the end of the series and the Rockets at the beginning of the series also really, really stood out. You got anything else that you loved about the playoffs?
1: Yeah, no, I just want to go with uh when you were talking about the Rockets beating the Warriors, I mean, I just I don't see I don't think C P three is the same player that he used to be. Um, and I, and looking back now, like I cannot believe that they traded Lou Will, Pat Bev, a first-rounder, and Trez all for CP3. And, I mean, it looked like a great pickup at the time. I mean, it's a superstar, but, I mean, look at what they gave away. And those guys, I mean, were awesome in the first round of the playoffs.
0: And the Rockets seemed to really lack depth at times in that series, which all of those guys would have provided. And it is an odd thing. Uh, in hindsight now thinking about how much better and uh, more effective Lou Williams even just Lou Williams might have been in that series versus Chris Paul they used him in such a way where he was a scorer in the pick and roll and they tried to take advantage of that Kavon Looney mismatch on Chris Paul and it's just like hey you have a guy having one of the best scoring seasons in NBA history on your team maybe we just stop doing the Chris Paul Kevon Looney thing for a quarter at
1: very odd Uh, would you call Chris the most disappointing player of the postseason so far um I wouldn't go with Chris I would actually well I think a lot of people might say Westbrook I mean first round defeat went out um the way he years ever since Katie left exactly but I personally I would go with Kyrie um I thought that he was a total flop um To tag along with that, Brad Stevens as well. I know he's not a player, but what a disappointing performance from the Celtics all around. Uh, But Kyrie is the leader of that team, and he just completely fell apart at the end.
0: Very disappointing, especially after he dominated the Pacers. I know it wasn't that big of a deal because the Pacers' best player was Bogdanovic in that series, but (laughs) it, it was very odd seeing them win that first game by 22 and everybody saying, okay, that they're peaking at the perfect time. Here come the Celtics. And it wasn't that they just were demolished in all of those games. It was the way it happened, uh, the way the Bucks seemed to dunk every time down the floor or shoot a wide-open three, and the Celtics set one ball screen and Kyrie pulls up. The thing about Kyrie is he looks so cool doing everything he does. He really does look cool out there, you know, with his longer
1: hair and his cool-looking jump shot, and his leg sleeves. I still like the guy. Oh, he's a wizard with the basketball for sure, but, I mean, gosh, that – air Airball he had in the last game. I just that that put it just right on a platter, like the ultimate choke job. It uh,
0: it just doesn't feel good to think that he doesn't care. And that that's really what you kind of take from that series and him his kind of whole season. He it just ever, wants to leave. He he made that comment to the uh, New York media when he was in New York about to play the Knicks about how he'll decide on July first what his future would be, and then that's after he basically told Boston, I'm, I'm going to be back, I'm going to resign, I'm here to say. And I think from that moment, that's where the drama kicked off. And he just acted like he never said that. And he totally said that. It was so odd. Weird season for Kyrie, weird season for the Celtics. I would say my most disappointing player has to be James Harden. I mean, there's I couldn't go any other way. There it is, game five, KD's out. It's for the taking, and he takes zero shots in the last 10 minutes. The best offensive season since Michael Jordan in 1993. He doesn't shoot the ball in the last 10 minutes. He makes takes one layup with, like, 20 seconds left and makes it. If you didn't have an awesome TV, James Harden wasn't even pictured on offense for a lot <laughs> of that game. He barely crosses half court. He is the king of a uh, guy picked up their dribble and is going to pass it back now to the point guard, and he's got to hop over the line to get the ball. He looked like he was in bad shape. He looked like he didn't care. He looked like he hated his teammates. Really, really disappointing performance from James Harden. I don't know how long it'll take for me to forgive him. Clint Capella, also worthy of mentioning. Uh, He wanted the Warriors really bad, and um, he got him. He was horrendous. He was exposed. Uh, He basically couldn't be on the floor, and for a team that was playing Amon Schumpert and Gerald Green, big minutes, they needed him to be on the floor and to be effective. And... It just there was maybe one game where they got some lobs out of him, and it, it looked like he was going to actually be able to do what he did in the regular season. But Steve Kerr, fantastic job, definitely not a disappointing job from him. He took Capella out of the series, he made Chris Paul beat them, and he made James Harden immensely uncomfortable. Uh, very, very interesting to watch. Let's get to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, the Blazers edge the Nuggets in game seven on the road. CJ McCollum just flame on the entire game. Uh, The Warriors beat the Rockets in six, five quarters now without KD. They win three of those quarters in a series where people were saying, this is the finals. I need to own how wrong I was about the Rockets. I've been saying the Rockets were going to win the title for a while, and they're out now, so I need to own that. Who did you like in that series going into it?
1: Uh, I like the Warriors. I mean, as long as as they have KD in the lineup, they – even without Cousins, they look like one of the most dominant teams the NBA has ever had. Um, but I definitely thought it would be a lot closer, especially when KD got hurt. Like you were saying about Harden and Klapella, I mean, that that was a perfect chance to seize the opportunity that they had in front of them, and they didn't, especially Capella, because Capella had a big, I mean, that's a big matchup problem, especially teams with good centers should be able to exploit the Warriors on the boards, I mean, in the paint, but they, they didn't, he didn't, he didn't. Seize that opportunity The Warriors are maybe
0: the best in the league When it comes to exposing big
1: men with guards uh, Successfully
0: doing what the Rockets were trying to do When Steph Curry got Nane out on that wing in game one And he just walked him like a dog And ended it and did the whole like Hey, guess who? I'm back Whole thing You can just see that happening before it happens It's a slow motion car crash And they did that to Clint Capella A hundred times in this series And that's fine Clint Capella can't guard Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. I'm not arguing that he can but the fact that he couldn't score and rebound and just be effective on offense in any way, it uh, really, really bothered me. And, and I think that Harden, and he went 0 for 26 from three to end the series last year against the Warriors, and that's his kind of claim to not being great, I guess, in the media, and I think that this was worse. They didn't have Kevin Durant, and uh, they were so written off in game six the Warriors were a seven point underdog to the Rockets and for him to not only lose that game but just lose it the way they did just to seem disinterested in the last five minutes just bothersome for me uh let's get into the Blazers versus Warriors uh KD he's hurt he's gonna miss games one and two it sounds like uh, regardless of that fact this series line is gigantic the Warriors are minus 570 to advance. That's nuts. How do you think KD's injury affects this series?
1: I think it's big, obviously. I mean, he's one of the best players, probably a top five, top three player in the NBA. But I don't think it's decimating for this series. Um, I don't really see it being a problem. Uh, I like the Blazers. I like Dame. I like CJ. I mean, they just knocked my team out of the NBA playoffs. But I forgot uh, you were a big Nuggets guy. Big Nuggets fan, man. That was a, that was a heartbreaker for sure. Uh but I don't see it being being decimating to the Warriors here without KD. Yeah, I uh, I want the Blazers to win this series so
0: bad because I just want somebody to knock off the Warriors. I think it'd be so cool. But man, I, I it's hard to see CJ and Dame rising to that challenge of Steph and Clay Thompson just after seeing them do it so many times before. But I think that Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum's attitude as players is, is not going to be of one like uh, of the Rockets. You know, I really think that they're going to really chase this opportunity while Kevin Durant's not playing. I think games one and two are going to be really, really interesting, given that they know he's not out there and they know they have to go now. They, they've played this game seven game series with the Nuggets back and forth, where at separate times you constantly are flip-flopping in your head over who you think's a better team who's gonna win and I mean here it is here this is Damian Lillard's moment and I mean he keeps having him. really struggled in game seven CJ
1: carried him what were your thoughts about that game seven against the Nuggets oh it was unbelievable I mean 37 and 9 um the Nuggets had no idea how to guard him um and I mean he just hit that dagger and Dame hit that dagger over Jokic and oh man it's just it's an absolute heartbreaker. Yeah, um, with the Nuggets,
0: uh, where where do you see them going in the future? Do you have a lot of hope for the Nuggets? Uh, do you think
1: you all need to add, or do you like what you have? I absolutely love the way the Nuggets are built. Um, they're young. I think they hit their potential and stride like earlier than than I expected them to. Um, <clears throat> and they've got their good players under under control. Um, as far as adding anyone, um, they have a player option on. Paul Millsap this year for thirty million. Um, I think they should try to negotiate that lower and then go get somebody. I don't want to see them add somebody like Jimmy Butler, but maybe if they can get somebody like Tobias Harris or um, another or or a guard um, that could help them out, that's that's about the best that I could see them doing.
0: What impressed me most with the Nuggets in the postseason is that Malone never strayed away from his bench. Uh, the bench played a huge role in the Nuggets being as effective as they were in the regular season and in the playoffs. You watch the Warriors and Rockets in their series completely burn out their starters, play a max minutes, only take them out when they're tired. Mike Malone I mean he just he'll play that bench group all together he has a ton of faith in his guys one through about nine and I I think that is definitely not why they lost the series and I think that's what you want out of your coach as a player for sure I think the Nuggets definitely are a player away from being a, a championship team but you have to like what you're doing with Jokic and in a league where it's player empowerment time, and all these players are leaving, I feel like Giannis and Jokic are two of those players where they, they really like where they're at. And even though it's not maybe not the most prolific city in the world, it's really great to them. They seem to really enjoy being there. It, it'll be great to see how that goes forward with uh, the Nuggets and the Bucks. Um,
1: what are you? Or what are your keys to this series, Blazers Warriors? This is going to be fun. All right, so for. For the Blazers, I'm going to – it's going to have to be defense. Um, they played great defense against the Nuggets in the games that they won. They played great defense against the Thunder in the games that they won. In the games that they lost, you saw them getting beat in shootouts. I mean, they'd give up 120 points and they lose. They're not going to win games like that. And I think uh, the Rockets and Harden are a perfect example of the blueprint to beat the Warriors is not outscoring them. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So you've got to play defense. Um, And I think Zach Collins is going to be big as well. Um, He's going to have to play more. I mean, as we saw with Capella, the big men don't exactly work against the Warriors, um, and Cantor cannot defend anybody. He's a great rebounder, but he can't defend anybody. Zach Collins is going to have to play. He's going to have to stay out of foul trouble and run up and down the floor.
0: This series, uh, there's a lot to be found out, but there's one thing that I know, and it's that Cantor is going to be abused by Steph Curry <laughs> and Clay a few times in the open court. Uh, Got to play him, though. It's not like he's not going to give him some good minutes. I had Collins, too. It's so hard to imagine Lillard and McCollum beating Steph and Clay, let alone beating them bad enough to where the Blazers can actually win the game. But you have to remember, I mean, the Warriors are getting the rest of their scoring outside of, of those two guys, from Andre Wadala, Draymond Green, guys that are well past their prime, guys that definitely could go out there and lay eggs, and they haven't yet in in, in the two games that they didn't have, well, in the one-and-a-half games that they didn't have KD against the Rockets. And I, I think that the Blazers, they have to have Lillard and McCollum consistency first and foremost, but they need Seth Curry and Minu and Collins to get to that double-digit mark, especially if Rodney Hood... Isn't going to be there. I, I don't know what his status is for this series. Uh, how do you think that affects the Blazers going forward?
1: Yeah, Rodney Hood playing is huge, especially because I think CJ and Dame are just going to get worn out. I mean, they're running all over the place, scoring and doing everything that they can for the team. And you kind of saw it with Dame um, in the last in Game Seven against the Nuggets. Um, I mean, he was like three of seventeen from the field. I mean, he's he's dead. They're both. They're both going to be dead if they're having to do everything. Um, if the Warriors get contributions from their vets, you know, like Livingston and, and Iguodala and Draymond. They're it, they're going to be impossible to beat. So you've they've got to get something more than than just CJ and Dame.
0: It's going to be cool. We just had the Clegane Bowl in Game of Thrones, and now we have the Curry Bowl, for the Western <laughs> Conference Finals. It's going to be epic. Steph's probably going to win, <laughs> but no matter what, it's going to be fun. What's your exact series result here? What do you think going to happen?
1: I'm going with the Warriors 4-1. to one. I think the Blazers will steal one um, at home probably, um, but I can't see them winning any more than that with or without KD.
0: I like the Warriors in six. It kills me to say I have the Blazers at 200-1 to one to win the NBA title. Uh, it took them forever ago. It's It's incredible that it's still there. It's probably going to be a donation. I definitely feel <laughs> like uh, they can't really match the firepower of the Warriors. I don't hate the matchup for the Blazers, though, especially with KD out, It wouldn't shock me terribly to see them win this series, but it, it would definitely excite me if they did. Let's move on to the Eastern Conference. Uh, the Bucks dominate. The Raptors escape. Who has the advantage going into this series? Very different second rounds for these two teams
1: oh definitely um, I'm gonna go with the bucks the like you said the bucks dominated um, they haven't shown many signs of weaknesses and they have one of the best players in the NBA as do the Raptors but I think the Raptors against the sixers showed a lot of vulnerability um, at the same time I think the sixers were better than the Raptors and the Raptors just outplayed them so it's gonna it's gonna have a lot to do with that uh, but if the bucks are playing to their potential I don't I don't see the Raptors beating them
0: yeah, I, uh, I think the Bucks are definitely coming into this series with the advantage. Uh, I, I kind of think they're the best team in basketball. Uh, they only have one loss in these playoffs. Every other team has at least three. Uh, the most wins by double digits of any team when you combine the regular season and the postseason— Absolute juggernaut of a team. Uh, I think the Bucks are going into the series feeling way better about themselves than the Raptors are, especially given how the Raptors won game seven with Kawhi Leonard scoring like 46% of their points. I mean, that's, forty shots. that's I a, mean, that's a great thing. It's, it's, it's hey, Kawhi, you're the man, you're, you're a hero. But to get that little from the rest of your guys, that's the kind of thing that makes you easy to defend in the playoffs when your goal is, let's shut this guy down. Anybody else has beaten us, and I think if both teams do that to each other, I still think the Bucks have the advantage, and yeah, that'll be very, very interesting to see going forward. Uh, who do you like as the key player for each team in the series?
1: Oh well, Bucks. Um, obviously, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with a non Giannis candidate because that's too obvious. Of course, uh, the the combo of George Hill, Malcolm Brogdon, um, the two of them have been. Brogdon just came back, but George Hill has been great in his role-playing role playing um, role throughout the first two series of the playoffs. Um, and Brogdon coming back will probably take some of those minutes, but he was, I mean, he's he played well in that first game that he came back. Um, as for the Raptors, quiet um, <clears throat> against Giannis, I mean, he's going to have to defend Giannis. Um, but outside of him, Lowry really has to wake up in the playoffs. He has a tough matchup with Eric Bledsoe, and if he doesn't wake up, Bledsoe will eat him alive.
0: Yeah, uh, It's the point guards for me for sure Bledsoe and Lowry uh, when they're good slash great their teams win and when they're not it's really tough for these teams to win Bledsoe really struggled in that game one against the Celtics and then just flipped the switch he was on Irving I think over 50% of the time when it comes to games two through five he was constantly talking to Kyrie he was very physical with him Uh, Bledsoe is a guy who's just jacked out there super athletic can jump out of the gym Awesome on defense. Mini LeBron. Yeah, I don't know about being a mini LeBron, <laughs> but he, he's been great since his game won. 21 points, 9 points, 13 points, and 18 points to close the series. I, he was fantastic on defense, as I said. Middleton, absolute marksman, though. He, he, he can't go cold, which I know that he won't. I mean, if Chris Middleton is open, it, it's cash. You can go ahead and book it. You can change the channel while the ball's in flight and check <laughs> something else out if you've got a baseball game on or anything because it's going in. He contrasts perfectly with Giannis. Bledsoe, I I didn't really think so, but now he looks so great out there. George Hill, fantastic in that second-round series. I'm a big George Hill guy. Got a jersey hanging up right over there from the Pacers (laughs) days. Big Indiana George fan. George Hill, Rodney Hood, very impressive in the playoffs. Not so much last year in the playoffs for the Cavs. Do you think LeBron is hard to play with?
1: Yeah, I I definitely think he's hard to play with, but – I think it depends on the player too. Uh, we've watched LeBron carry teams to NBA finals, no matter how good or bad the players are. But it it seems like this constantly seems to happen where um, the the players don't respond the way that you expect them to once they team up with LeBron, um, minus D-Wade, Chris Bosch days. Um, but with the Cavs, it was completely different. Um, but look at Kyrie now and um, – in Boston, I mean he's doing he he kind of did the same thing that he did with LeBron yeah uh,
0: Kyrie I feel like his numbers in Boston have been similar, but obviously the results have been very different and I think the role players are the ones that are really affected by it and I think that really affects the really talented role players the guys that can do one or two things well I think can mesh with LeBron it can really minimize their their okay, I need to do this this right, right this game and this right this game and and we'll be fine and I'll do my part. But guys like Rodney Hood and George Hill that can do a little bit of everything just kind of get lost in LeBron James' ball dominance. And it, it's really, it's cool to see him just turn it on and be good for other teams in immediately in the postseason. They're both in the Final Four. It's wild. If I would have given you odds on who's going to the Final Four between George <laughs> Hill and uh, Rodney Hood and LeBron, you're probably taking LeBron and it's, it's not. It's George Hill and Roddy Hood. Sweet. That's why you got to love the NBA. Uh, Kawhi and Giannis, who would you rather have for the future and for this series specifically? I feel like that could change.
1: Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go with Giannis for both, um, but it's close. Uh, Kawhi's a little bit older. He's 27. Giannis is only 24. Um, but Giannis is a absolute freak. Um Kawhi kind of had that drama in San Antonio which I wasn't a big fan of um but he does have the experience he's a former finals MVP um he has the pedigree um the only downside to Giannis that I see is he has to be surrounded by shooters to be effective if he's not surrounded like with shooters like Chris Middleton then I don't see him being as effective as he is Um, That's,
0: uh, that's a very good point man uh Kawhi seems to be able to do it by himself, which we just watched <laughs> on the biggest stage. And Giannis absolutely needs that help, which he totally has. I would take Giannis right now and in the future and probably over everybody else in the NBA with the, with what he showed in mainly that game four in in the Boston Garden. The way he was just dunking every time down the floor and just just physically dominating the Celtics on offense and defense. Game five, I wouldn't even put too much stock in it because the Celtics had hotels booked and everything like that, and just were not interested in being there at all. But I mean, it's it's got to be a tough team to play. Big, big, bad Giannis. But if you put Giannis on it on a team like the Cavs, I'm I'm not sure that they're in the final four. You know, none of this is a knock on LeBron. It just it. Giannis needs players around him that can shoot the ball and that can defend a little bit and that are competent NBA basketball players. That's exactly what the Bucks have. The Raptors have a lot of that, too. The supporting cast for Kawhi didn't look very good in Game 7, but if you watch the Raptors all year, Pascal Siakam looked very different for most of the year than he looked in that Game 7. Uh, Marcus Gasol has been effective at times. Kyle Lowry is awesome regular season player. Serge Ibaka looked like, I mean, jj reddick at parts of that game seven i mean just he might have saved the raptor season with the random shots that he made out of nowhere who do you think has a better roster going into the series
1: it's close but i'm um, leaning bucks um i like bledsoe and middleton more than lowry and green i mean you can it's arguable with Giannis and Kwai, but um uh both teams have loaded rosters loaded benches um The Bucks have shown results um, outside of their dominance with the starting lineup. The an interesting stat that I found um, was that the Raptors have averaged 21.6 points from their bench in the playoffs, which is the second lowest, only to the Rockets, which who we just talked about being a very shallow team. They didn't have a very deep bench 100 percent. especially
0: when it comes like they had some guys out there but they sure as heck weren't scoring
1: exactly and the bucks average um 37.4 points from their bench which is third in the playoffs which uh i'll take the results
0: absolutely and when you look at guys like Pat Connaughton and Brooke Lopez and Miritich and Middleton. What do these guys have in common? They're all knockdown three-point shooters, built around the best driver slash slasher in basketball. I mean, the, uh, the Bucks are perfectly constructed to win a title. It's just not your grandfather's title team. It it doesn't make sense to people that the Bucks could actually win the championship. But uh, spoiler alert: I think they're going to. Uh, what do you have for the keys to the series?
1: uh the Bucks, I think they need to control the pain I think they got a little bit away from that especially with Giannis in the series against the Celtics I know that it was kind of easy work for the Bucs in five games but Giannis took one more three-point attempt per game than he had been taking all season which I think is significant um and I think that they need to win at home both teams need to win at home they both lost game ones um they need to win at home, and the Raptors just need to utilize their experience. I mean, they have Kawhi, who's a former Finals MVP, and that can be significant um, in the playoffs.
0: And that move they made to get Mark Gasol just shows that, that they're going for it too. And when you get to a point in the season where there's only four teams left, they're all playing well. They've they've all it, it overachieved to an extent. Everybody except the Warriors, I feel like. The Bucks hadn't won a playoff series since 2001 going into this and I mean now it feels like it would be an absolute failure if they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals and it's not I think that both these teams need to play loose uh my keys to the series are the, the Bucks making the outside shot they got to knock down threes if these role players do go cold the Raptors have a great chance to step in and and not only win but dominate this series the Bucks need their role players to play exactly the same as they did in games two through five and Sometimes that changes as you start to advance in the playoffs, and the Raptors, it's got to be just getting Kawhi help, as we talked about. It's not a successful form of basketball, having one player dominate the ball that much, having one player shoot that much. I don't think Kawhi was actually hurt last year, so I wouldn't worry about his health or workload or anything, especially with how much he's sat out going down the stretch of this season, but they have to have more because when you have a guy doing that much guys like Siakam, Lowry, Gasol, they begin to feel uncomfortable because they're not as involved in the basketball game as they I mean at a minimal amount as they've ever been in their basketball careers. It it's something to look out for. What do you think the exact series result is here?
1: Um I'm going to take the Bucks in 6. Um I th- I think they will be good games. Um I just I think the Bucks are too too much better than than the Raptors um like I said I thought the Sixers were better than the Raptors the Raptors just happened to pull it out um so I'll take the Bucks and six I'm on the Bucks and six as well great minds think alike uh real quick your
0: championship pick who do you like with KD I'll take the Warriors I mean Cousins is coming
1: back too they get Which bo- is
0: weird. Do they just, like, lie about their injuries? Like, what what's the deal with this? Why, why do I never know how hurt people on the Warriors are, but all the other teams, I have a pretty good idea of how hurt people are.
1: I mean, it's been less than a month, and Cousins is coming back from a torn quad. That makes absolutely no sense to me. None.
0: especially. <laughs> I mean, he's coming off a torn Achilles a year ago. And, and torn quad now. Oh, he'll be back, though. I'm... I don't know if Steve Kerr is messing with me, like if he's really going to come back. If he has a different injury, it doesn't add up, though. I, I think it's cheating. I think that you have to <laughs> correctly report the injury. I don't know why Red Talk's the only place talking about that. Uh, I like the Bucks in seven, uh, regardless of whether KD's there or not. I think that this Warriors team is meant for a Hollywood breakup. Just because I was really, really wrong about the Rockets doesn't mean I'm going to stray away from that. <laughs> I'm going to die on the fact that the Warriors are not winning the title this year. Um, do
1: you see any scenario where they don't? I like the Bucks if KD doesn't play. Uh, the kd Giannis matchup, I think, is what changes it for me. I mean, Giannis is just so dominant. But when you have K- KD out there, the KD supporting cast is much better. Um, the only difference is um, the depth of the teams. I mean, the Warriors have absolutely no depth. Um, so I think that comes into play when they don't have KD. They especially, got, especially going through a whole other series now. Exactly. But, yeah. And, I mean, they got they got rid of everybody to make room for KD, and I think that comes back to bottom against the Bucks if KD's not able to go.
0: Yeah, um, I I hate the way their bench is constructed. I've been saying that all year. It's going to really bother me if, if that just doesn't end up mattering and they end up winning <laughs> the title anyway. Yeah. Uh, we got time. Let's do a little MLB. MLB check-in here. Uh, it's been seven weeks. It's really flown by. It's it's crazy to say that we've played seven weeks of baseball so far. College baseball is almost over, which is kind of wild to think about. We were at the Cards game this past week, and they th- this upcoming weekend, the, the season's over, and it's into the conference tournament. Yeah. Time just flies, man. But the MLB, just getting started seven weeks in, so much has happened, so much still to happen. Who do you have as the best team in the American League and the National League at this current moment?
1: Um, American League, I'm going the Astros, um, and not just for this current moment for the rest of the season. Um, they had they have the best record in the American League, and they their pitching has been bad, which has been a strong suit for them the last few years, and it's still been bad. I mean, they have Verlander and Cole, but outside of that, it hasn't been that great. Um, I think the Rays have played well they're regressing a bit right now the Red Sox are coming on strong and the Yankees have just been decimated by injuries Um, in the NL I like the Dodgers and frankly I don't think it's that close um, I think it's closer in the AL, but um, I like the Cubs, Brewers, and Phillies to kind of round it out, but I think the Dodgers are the best, and I don't think it's very close.
0: I uh, love the Astros in the American League. Verlander has really carried the load on a struggling rotation. I took him to win the Cy Young before the year. He's a current favorite. Love the way that's looking, but the losses of uh, Keichel and Charlie Morton have hurt their team. There's no way around that. They didn't have a great bullpen going into – this season and honestly the American League I mean the Yankees have such a dominant bullpen but a lot of those other contenders that's the weakness that you point out with them is their bullpen but the Astros lineup is just stacked I mean when you think about going from Altuve and Springer and Bregman and just down the line I mean they're so tough they're the current World Series favorite I really like what the Yankees have been able to do despite the fact of their of their injuries though the Yankees have found a way to Stay winning ballgames. Looked pretty good in the race series over the weekend and everything. I I still really like the Yankees. Took the Yankees before the season. Uh, I'm going to stick with them as a World Series pick, given how well they're doing, missing all these guys. Mm -hmm. But the Astros have been awesome. The Dodgers and the Cubs, I feel like, have really separated themselves in the NL. Uh, Definitely. The Cubs... I'm obviously a little biased here, but eight series wins in a row for the first time since two thousand and eight. I mean, that's that's pretty wild. Yeah. And uh, it, it's been a really impressive run for a team that the past two years looked very content with the fact that they won a World Series. They're really hungry this year,
1: especially uh, after another so start. I mean, they started out and teams were like or people were talking about how. Are they even going to be a playoff team this year?
0: One and six to start out. They're like twenty three and thirteen now. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, Chris Bryant is is really back to me. Chris Bryant, he really struggled last year. A lot of injuries. Home run numbers way down. Struggled in twenty seventeen a little bit compared to the MVP run the year before.
1: Yeah,
0: he's reached base in twenty two consecutive games. It's the most in the MLB. The guy's just seeing the ball well. And if Chris is playing that way. Javi and Contreras are playing the way they do. The Cubs are going to be tough to beat, and I think the Brewers and Cardinals are both struggling. I hope that the Cubs take advantage of this window. The Dodgers, though, what a juggernaut. Um, they, they're just getting Justin Turner back. First game I watched Justin Turner plays, he hits three home runs. Yeah. He hits three home runs. Clayton Kershaw might be the fourth-best starter on their staff right now. The way the Dodgers develop young talent it might be unparalleled in, in the major leagues. I Alex Verdugo, that that guy they have. I mean, where do these guys come from? I don't
1: them? know. And he just—they—they they have him coming off the bench. Like it,
0: it's he, crazy. And he every time I watch him, he hits a ball hard up the middle <laughs> or something. Cody Bellinger you know, comes out of nowhere. I mean, he—he's arguably the MVP of the season so far. And those are guys that you look at the Dodgers roster going into the season, and you might—I mean—you're definitely not going to mention Verdugo, but I don't think you go out of your way to be like Bellinger's the best position player on this ball club for sure, and it it's remarkable what they're doing
1: yeah and this is this is homegrown talent this isn't big free agent signings going to the big LA market i mean these are these are homegrown kids that they've got to stay home, and this is with some of their better players not even playing that well. Like you men, mentioned, Kershaw has been good, but he hasn't been great. He hasn't been, you know, vintage Kershaw. AJ Pollock is out, and he's going to be out for a long, uh, an extended period of time. Um, and then Corey Seager is coming off Tommy John surgery, and he hasn't been anywhere near the same. They lost Yasmani Grandal at catcher, and they they never miss a beat.
0: Yeah, and they i mean—they were at a point this offseason where they're giving guys away. They, they don't bring Machado back, as you said. They're more encouraged by their young, homegrown talent versus the free agent, um, kind of just Machado being baited out there for them, especially how late it took him to sign. It just wouldn't have shocked me if he went back to the Dodgers at any point and they go a different way. It's looked like it's been a home run for them, and they give – Matt Kemp and Yasiel Puig and Alex Wood to the Reds for Homer Bailey.
1: They just didn't have any room. That's, I mean, a, that's literally ridiculous. They, they're giving
0: guys away on this team. It is, can you imagine being in a situation like that? Homer Bailey pitches for the Royals now. I mean, they didn't, even, they didn't use Homer Bailey at all.
1: They gave three players to get back one of the worst starting pitchers in the MLB last year to take on his $20 million salary, and they just gave the Reds three quality players. Absolutely.
0: I mean, I mean you're looking at a guy that was on the cover of a video game and two former All-Stars. He just gave them to the Reds, knowing that the Reds were going to do absolutely nothing with them and that the Reds were just a complete non-threat. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I, I say that now. that The Reds are going to freaking sweep the Cubs this week <laughs> or something like that. But, um, no, it, it, it really is nuts what the Dodgers have been able to do, especially with Kenley Jansen's struggles and everything. Uh, it just doesn't even matter. This team is so deep. They're so fun to watch. Uh, that a uh, West Coast baseball as the sports wind down and everything, I can always find myself catching the last three innings of a Padres or a Dodgers game. And both those teams have really impressed me so far. I've also been really impressed with the Padres and their young core. Machado looks so much more into it right now than he did in the postseason last year, which I think is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure why uh, he was that close to winning a World Series, but uh, the Padres have been fun. Man, they got a lot of good young players. Uh, Great team to throw on. Uh, the standings right now are a little odd if you check them out today, especially when you consider the preseason odds of who would win these divisions. Uh, the Twins and the Rays, I mean, they've been right at the top of the AL East and the AL Central all year. Do you think teams like this can stay in the hunt?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely surprising to say the least, especially about the Twins, but I think they are both for real. I mean, the Rays won 90 games last year. They they missed the playoffs because you know the Yankees and the Red Sox were so good, um, but their pitching is good. They added Glasnow has completely turned it around. Um, they added Charlie Morton, and it seems like they they give their players away and they get better. I mean, they traded Chris Archer for Austin Meadows and Tyler Glasnow, who have been phenomenal so far, um, and they they're talking about going after Keiko now. So their their regression has started to sit in a little bit, like they're slowing down a little bit, um, but they're still in first. I mean, they're still in first over the Yankees and the Red Sox. Um, the Twins, their starting rotation is solid. They'll regress at some point, but they just destroy the baseball. I mean, they are lead the league in home runs. They're just jacking the ball right now. Yeah, they. Uh, they, Jorge Blanco, Byron Buxton
0: playing great, but that Nelson Cruz accusi- uh, acquisition is so underrated. Most home runs in the MLB dating back to 2016 to now, He is crushing the ball. What a big pickup for him. Definitely not one that was covered much this summer. You heard anything and everything about Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and not much about Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz has been phenomenal for the Twins. It, probably the main reason to me that they're in the spot they're in. Marwin Gonzalez has been another nice pickup for him. Yeah, and he's the, even sort slow. Kind of the utility man for yeah. the Astros and just really provides them that type of lineup fluctuation that's necessary to make it last for 162. You're right about the rotation, though. When you look at the names, it's not super encouraging. Mm-hmm. But what is encouraging is being in that division with the uh, White Sox and the Royals and the Tigers. Those are three teams that
1: aren't very good and have no chance of winning the division.
0: And they're going to be playing them a lot and the Indians, I think the Indians have a better roster than the Twins and I think that was true when they came out as like minus 600 favorites to win the AL Central this year, but I think you have to love what the Twins are doing. I think it's absolutely sustainable. The Rays... I think the race should be really proud of what they've done so far, but I, I think it's a wild-card spot at best for them. The, the Yankees and the Red Sox just have too much talent in their starting rotations and in their lineup day-to-day, I think, for the race to sustain what they're doing. But, yeah, the, uh, perfect segue to our most improved players section. That's I, I was absolutely going to mention Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows. I mean, they have to be given <laughs> the Pirates front office nightmares Yeah. and I mean Meadows has been killing the ball and you could see that though in in the beginning of his Pirates career that he just saw the ball well and he was a stud it was such an odd trade but Glasnow I mean six starts seven wins uh right around a two-run ERA that's it's freaking awesome It absolutely is worth being mentioned for most improved who'd you have here
1: um pitcher wise I actually had Glasnow on there too but just in case you said Glasnow I was gonna say um Domingo Herman from the Yankees um I watched him pitch against Glasnow the other night and it was an awesome game and yeah. he was fantastic and he was he was even better than Glasnow was. Um he had a 5.57 ERA last year. This year he's 7 and 1 with a 2.70 ERA and he's only in the starting rotation because Luis Severino is out. Now he looks like the next Luis Severino. That's a uh, I mean that's great for the Yankees going forward. Uh,
0: already a ton of starting pitching depth ton of bullpen depth. To get somebody like that, I, I saw he literally appeared out of the bullpen once this year. And, I mean, that just shows how many guys the Yankees have in their rotation when everybody's healthy. If they had a full roster, there might not even be room for him in the five. But they're going to have to make room because he's, he's been phenomenal. Uh, that Jun Ryu... For, oh, the, for Dodgers. the Dodgers. Man, I mean, he's been the best starter on their team, arguably, after Walker Bueller was fantastic last year. And Clayton Kershaw is one of the best pitchers of our lives. He's been unreal. I watched him the other night. They won 9 0. He threw nine innings, shutout, 4 and 1, awesome ERA. I, I love what he's doing. That's out of nowhere, too. He's kind of the pitcher that you would look at as a Cubs fan, too. I want the Dodgers to lose most of the time because I want to win the National League. Uh, Regular season to get the home field advantage during right. the playoffs, and Ryu was the guy that you saw and you're like, okay, cool. Dodgers might not win tonight. This is this is the guy to pick on. And now he's he's possibly the man. I I think that's uh, definitely something worthy of mentioning. Uh, who's a rookie that stood out to you?
1: Um, for me, there's two. I had Chris Paddock Paddock from the um, from the Padres. He throws
0: gas, and he's so tall and athletic out there.
1: This dude is a rookie and. Skip triple A has not pitched a single triple A game, came straight from double A, has a one five five ERA. And uh it's point six nine whip. That's absolutely unbelievable. Um but I had him and then I had Pete Alonzo from the Mets. Dude is just crushing. Lumberjack. Ball. Lumberjack. Oh my unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh Paddock, man. He he's they actually played
0: play tonight and this is coming out tomorrow morning, but Paddock's like plus one twenty on the road against Kershaw last night. That's how freaking good this guy has been so far. Definitely one of those young players you need to watch. One of the big reasons why I'm so impressed with the Padres so far this year, Pete Alonso. I mean, that guy is so freaking jacked up there. He looks like he <laughs> could just break the bat with his hands just by squeezing it. That home run he hit against the Padres the other night to win the game in the ninth where he like, lost the bat on yeah, the bat yeah. flip and almost hurt a ton of civilians. Uh, I mean, The ball probably could have done more damage to the civilians. I mean, that thing was crushed. He looks awesome. I'm going to bring up the local guy, Nick Senzel. uh, Louisville bat, Tennessee volunteer. You watch him come up through the system. I'm not a big Reds guy, but I was tuned in the other day, and the guy led off for the Reds. Stats aren't great, but you know he's got the talent hits a home run to lead off the game, first at bat. Next time up, hits another home run. Both opposite field. I think the park, the great American ballpark, really plays to his power. I think he's an incredible fielder that gives the Reds a ton of lineup fluctuation, which teams need, and especially the Reds need, who can already do a ton of different things with their lineup, with the fact that Peraza can play short and center field, and now they have Senzel too. And I'm really impressed with him so far. And he's going to have to be great to get the Reds to the next level in the next couple of years. But the Reds' lineup day-to-day has been not good this year. Yeah, but it has great names on it. And we haven't even seen Scooter Jeanette yet. It wouldn't shock me to see the Reds make a run. The only thing that worries me about the Reds is their pitching is highly overachieving right now. Luis Castillo been fantastic. Di Sclafani has been fantastic. Stuff like that. Has to even out as time yeah. goes on, so I, I don't know how good the Reds will be. But Nick Senzel is definitely a player to watch. Uh, will be, I think, a world famous Louisville bat one day, which we all love to see. Let's uh, let's talk about our teams a little bit though. Um, the Yankees. Tell me what you think about your season so far.
1: Yeah, the Yankees have been nothing short of amazing this year. I mean, they they everybody knows them as the big spenders, and this year they're doing it with a Triple A team. They have currently thirteen players on the IL, um, and they've had seventeen for the season. I mean, you don't have the the um, Rookie of the Year runner up. You don't have your eighth inning setup guy. You don't have Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. Luis Severino your staff ace, James Paxton your number 2 and they're they've been dominant um but it's because they like you said earlier they have are probably the best bullpen in baseball. Um Gary Sanchez has kind of returned to form. Man, he is hitting the ball out of the ballpark right now. You got to love what Gary Sanchez is doing. Yeah, and his defense has actually been good. Um, Luke Boyd has kind of showed that he's not a fluke. Uh, um, you know, everybody thought that he had a hot run, and he's kind of sh- turned it on into this year, too. Oh, I like that guy. He he's Him playing every day for you all probably can't continue when you
0: have everybody back, but right. he's been fantastic. Very impressive.
1: Yeah, and, and then obviously, like, thanks to the Cubs for Gleyber Torres. Um, uh, thanks to the Yankees
0: for the <laughs> World Series champions.
1: Yeah, um, I... But but it, seriously, I, I love Torres. He got he kind of got off to a slow start as well, but he he has turned it up. And then you have the unlikely heroes, you know, DJ LeMayhew, um, most probably the most underrated signing of the offseason. Um You have Gio Urshela, who and you know Domingo Herman, who we talked. It's just it's a ragtag group, and they've exceeded expectations tremendously. I think it's been an incredible coaching job by Aaron Boone. Manager of the year right now. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. With what he's done, when you look at the Yankees' day-to-day lineup, it is not what you looked at last year. And it should have been better. And injuries have depleted them, but it hasn't depleted their record or season so far. It's been very impressive. Uh, I'm really happy that the Cubs won it all, and Chapman played a huge role in being able to do that. So I'm cool with the trade. But there's definitely times where, you know, Addison Russell strikes out for his third time in a row, and I say, man, I wish you were Glabar Torres. (laughs) That's definitely come out of my mouth a few times. Yeah. Yankees, you have to be impressed with what they're doing. i talk about my Cubs. Um, things are going great, man. Things are going great for the Cubs. I'm so happy with where they're at. The day-to-day lineup has been incredible. Schwarber looks good. He looks healthy. Chris Bryant is peak Chris Bryant. Jason Hayward, I mean, this is definitely the best year he's had for the Cubs. When they won the World Series, he was a defensive replacement in the seventh innings. Now he's leading off for us every day. Love what he's doing. I I just love this team the, uh, rotation wise. I mean, you Darvish, a lot of people have been hating on you Darvish for ever since he signed with the Cubs. I've been one of them, but if you Darvish is your fifth best starter on your baseball team, that's a pretty incredible place to be. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Cubs so far?
1: Uh, I mean, the the Cubs are hot. <laughs> I mean, it is it's undeniable, <laughs> but the the way their rosters built, I mean, they are they are full of of you know, superstars. I mean, you've got Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, I mean, has woke up this year. Both are catchers, you know. Um, Which we needed badly,
0: and I I hope that we can one day have an argument about who the best catcher in the MLB is between our two, and I think that's a realistic thing to talk about.
1: I think so, too, especially the way they're hitting the ball. I mean, they're crushing the ball. Um, John Lester has kind of... John Lester and Jose Quintana have both kind of, you know, come back to life. I think the only concern is um the bullpen absolutely Um, yeah i mean but pedro strope and brandon morrow are on the il i mean there's nothing you can do about that yeah Um, those are our two guys right but i think it the kinslers and uh brad bach and steve c are okay but they're not what you need to to you know advance
0: yeah that's what I'm thinking that's the only thing that worries me about us I don't want to do anything different with the lineup at the deadline I don't want to do anything different with the rotation at the deadline like to get one stud lefty in there Mike Montgomery's been fantastic but we've we've always missed that I think Strope and Morrow are good enough to hold it down if we can get them healthy I just one power lefty I think would put us in a good spot where we could do some different things Uh, what's your best moment of the 2019 MLB season
1: so far um, well, for me, I loved Brett Gardner's uh, eighth-inning Grand Slam against the Red Sox, obviously, to win the game. But outside of that, um, it's a Yankees moment, but I think a lot of people can agree with was CC's 3,000th strikeout. Um, he's only the 17th player ever to do that, third lefty ever to do it. I thought it was an awesome moment against the D backs
0: Yeah, very cool, especially CC coming into this year. I know he had some health issues and everything, so it's good to see him back out there performing and all that everybody on the yankees has health issues so i guess he fits right in (laughs) he almost died (laughs) my um it's it's not funny my uh my my best moment is uh definitely just the cubs last week just being a team three out of five games ending in walk-off home runs two straight nights with a walk-off home run for the first time since 1998 it it seems so common to me right now that it happens but it, it's not, you know, I mean, we sometimes you only see three or four walk-off home runs in a whole season, and I just got to see three in one week. And uh, it was awesome. And Chris Bryant, three-run shot in the midst of being in, in maybe the best hitting form that he's ever been. And Jason Hayward, left-handed, off a lefty, oppo home run with the wind blowing in to win 3-2. That just speaks to his progression. And then my sister's 10th birthday party. Whole family's there. Contreras, 2-1. One, bangs one out of there. Looks down afterwards like, I am a bad man. Look <laughs> what I just did to that ball. Yeah, it Ends up being pivotal in winning the series against the Brewers. It's very impressive. Uh, huge week for us. Uh, Mike Fires, uh no-hitter for the A's, was also really awesome. Anytime you that see a no-hitter, yeah. it's it's great. And you just, I caught that game right in the seventh inning. So that's stood out to me. You know, you just get tense no matter who it is. Just hoping they don't blow it with just an
1: out left because that happens (laughs) so much. But he, I don't, the, the, uh, his lathering of pine tar, I think kept that from happening. (laughs) Oh, well, uh, yeah, I didn't know that, but
0: you heard it here first on Red Talk. Mike fires lathering of pine tar. (laughs) Uh, It helped him get a no hitter. Uh, Nick, bold prediction for the rest of the season.
1: Um semi-bold prediction i don't think the indians are going to make the playoffs um outside of that i think the houston astros offense will go down as the best offense in baseball history um right now they're hitting a 281 average as a team like not one player the entire team they've hit 30 home runs in the last 10 games which is unheard of and right now they're on pace to easily shadow shatter the home run record that's uh
0: that's interesting, man. I could definitely see it. It feels like every night I turn the Astros on, they have eight runs. So that really, really helps going towards that. Uh, I Simple predictions. I'd love the Cubs, Cubs to run away with the NL Central. I, I really believe that. I think the Brewers and the Cardinals are going to fall off a little bit, and we're going to be able to separate ourselves a little bit. Uh, Astros definitely running away with the AL West. But yeah, that's what I had as well. Twins win the AL Central. I really think that... They can't, if they were in the AL East, if they traded spots with the Rays, that there's no way they could win that division. But I think the Rays could definitely win the AL Central. I hate the way the MLB playoffs are aligned and that they put so much on winning your division. I, they cannot stand that. It should be. The Cubs and the Brewers finishing last season with the best record in the National League tied and then playing that game 163, the Cubs losing, and then the Cubs losing the wild card game the next day and being out. It's just a crime. I If it was somebody else's team, I might might not be as into it, but I'm super into it right now, and I just am not okay with that being the case. So I wish they would realign the playoffs a little bit, but yeah, I I like the Twins uh, dethroning the uh, huge favorite Indians in the AL Central, and uh, I like Yelich to win the MVP kind of sucks but I mean that guy is so locked in at the plate and I don't see anybody else in the NL really running away with the MVP the Dodgers are such a some of their parts type team they they get so much from different guys every night the Cubs are the same way Baez was right there last year really close I think you're gonna see Chris maybe give Yelich more of a run for his money this year than Mm -hmm. Javi but Yelich is just on another level. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think I would start my franchise with Yelich right after Trout when it comes to the whole MLB, and that's a really wild thing. It's something that just happened last year. But, yeah, that's a bold prediction for me. I like Yelich to win the MVP. All right, Brian, Dustin, great to see you all. The PGA Championship is this weekend. A great four days of golf are upon us from Thursday to Sunday. Before we get into the actual tournament breakdown, let's talk a little bit about what Tiger did. What did Tiger winning the Masters mean to you? Dustin, get us started.
2: It meant to me it solidified him as the GOAT, the greatest of all time. I mean, when you're talking about most consider either him or Jack, depending on how old you are, who you root for, stuff like that. For me, I mean, Throughout his whole life, he's been the greatest for me. And then he goes on this spell where it's just, I mean, it's just almost hard to watch him. He goes through all the injuries. He's missing cuts, withdrawing. It's just sad to see. And I just, I, I personally didn't think he could ever win again. And not only did that, he wins a major, the Masters, with all this young talent. I think that just proved, at age 41, that proved that he is the GOAT to me.
0: That's what's so cool about golf. You never know when something like that's going to happen. He he could have finished eleventh that weekend, and nothing happens. Nobody talks about it, and instead he finishes first. Probably the biggest golf story of the last five years. Uh, Very awesome, Brian. What'd
3: you think about it? I thought it was great. As Dustin said, Tiger's the goat. This solidified it. You can't really argue anymore. He hasn't won in five, ten years uh, a major. So coming back and winning the Masters is unbelievable feat for him he changed golf like un- unlike anybody's ever changed a sport before he's an athlete that transcends the future of golf into you know what's more of an open environment for everyone and you got to love the guy for that um, never thought we'd see it again especially in masters uh, it's one thing to win the, the British open the US open which is, which are great tournaments but' to come and win the masters and, and put on that green jacket it was unlike any feeling I've ever had totally totally
0: agree it's it's so weird how Tiger... There, in sports, there's always teams that you like and teams that you don't like, and everybody seems to rally around Tiger. There's, I have met very few people that do not want the guy to succeed. Brian, we were out uh, a weekend or two ago, and you were telling me about all these crazy Tiger stats and how Tiger, it, in comparison to other sports, just has stats that will blow you away about how dominant the guy has truly been. Brian, why don't you start us off with a couple of your favorite Tiger Woods stats?
3: Yeah, so my favorite one is uh, from 97 to 2080 combined uh, 12600 par uh, in majors. And in the next closest in that span was uh, with 40 or more rounds was at uh, 63 over. So he's beating that person by over 200 or right around 200 strokes in a, in about a nine-year span uh another good satellite he won 32 times from 99 to 2003 and the next closest in that span was eight so that's 32 times compared to eight for the next closest and then the last one i'll tell you all is uh he won 46 times in his 20s and the next closest person uh for with wins in his 20s is a guy named david duvall with 13. there's nothing that i can compare that to in any other
0: sport there there really isn't uh, jordan lebron you can have the argument and I feel like both people can be right in certain aspects. But when you're talking about Tiger Woods, it's insane the gap that there's been between this guy and the rest of the field. Dustin, what are some of your favorite Tiger stats?
2: I'd have to say my favorite one. I mean, just as a golfer, if you play golf, you understand just how hard this is. It doesn't compare to any other players, but Tiger had, it was in the early 2000s, he had 52 consecutive rounds at even or better. I mean, when you're talking about tour level golf courses that it just is incredible even think about the one that compares to others and just shows his dominance is he has 18 world golf championships which is extremely hard tournaments to win Um, you're talking about firestone different tournaments like that and the next closest is three so he's got 18 to three
0: insane his consistency through our younger years of life was remarkable and now he's seemingly back with a huge Masters win. It's almost like he's putting together two separate careers, but it's the same guy. Let's talk about our favorite Tiger memories pre his wife drama and post his wife drama. I feel like uh, you could go a couple different ways. The Masters has to be mentioned from this past weekend, but Brian, why don't you get us started?
3: So I'll start with uh, pre wife drama. He, the 2005 US Open, no one will ever forget it. Chip shot on 16. Super hard chip shot. Could have easily put it 10 feet past the hole, even in the bunker. Tough shot. He had to hit about a dime-sized divot on the green. That's what he was aiming for. Uh, he hit it right on the spot. The the caddy's got a story about it. It's an unbelievable story. Anyway, everybody knows the history from that. Rolls in, slow roll. You see the Nike check, four goes in the hole. Picture perfect. Ends up being a commercial. Uh, and not only that, but he had pressure on him. So he was up one stroke when he was off the green, and the, and the guy that was right behind him was, had a 15-foot putt for birdie. Uh, So he was, and the guy ended up, they ended up going to a playoff where Tiger beat him on the first playoff hole. But, you know, obviously if he doesn't make that chip, he probably doesn't win that tournament. Incredible. Uh, Definitely one of the best Tiger moments. What about after his wife drama? So after the wife drama, I would go with his first win last year. He finally came back. It was in that FedEx uh, Cup tournament. Uh, I think it was the last one. Justin Rose ended up winning the FedEx Cup, but if he would have finished a little worse, Tiger actually would have won the FedEx Cup, which would have been unbelievable. Uh, to go on top of the, the first tournament win being back. Uh, can't explain that feeling. Seeing all those people crowding behind him when he was walking up to the 18th green, uh, haven't seen that in so many years. It felt so good to see it again. Classic, man. And it really
0: felt like we might never see it again, and we did. Dustin, what do you have?
2: Pre-wife drama, I'm going to have to go to the 2001 Players' Championship. I mean, one of the most iconic calls of all time. The 60-footer on 17 Island Green puts it. Better than most. Just an incredible, incredible call. I mean, it might even be the call more than the moment. That just makes it makes it what it is. Uh, what about post-wife drama? Post-wife drama, I have to go back to the Masters, most recent Masters. I mean, the whole world's buzzing. The whole sphere. you get on there, it's all Tiger all the time. I mean, you just transcend golf, and he's back.
0: Dustin, what kind of chance are we giving Tiger to win the PGA Championship this weekend?
2: you know it's going to be tough but i got to think he's got a shot i'm done fading him he's he's broke my heart too many times whenever i mean not really broke my heart but i've i've been against him and he's uh he's performing so i it's going to be tough he's he's played well at beth black he won there in 2002 i mean he's leads the tour in greens in regulation ball striking stats are all incredible However, whenever he was winning at Bethpage, he he was driving the ball. That was his strong suit. Best driver on tour every but now his accuracy's a little gone. I still, you can't you can't fade him. I mean, you can't you gotta think he has a shot, but he's gonna have, that driver is gonna have to be important this week. For sure. You know, Tiger's the favorite. Uh, you're never gonna be able to get great odds on Tiger because of the
0: public money that's gonna come in on him every time. The world's favorite, uh, world's most favorite golfer. But you can't win unless your guy wins. So from that perspective, Tiger, not a terrible pick, especially in the Masters. Uh, Tiger has a putt for birdie 75% of the time. Uh, that's better than every golfer on tour. And uh, in a tournament, which we're about to get into how difficult it is, you have to like a guy who constantly puts himself in a spot to succeed like Tiger does. Brian, what
3: kind of chance are you giving him this weekend? I like Tiger's chances. Obviously, it's hard to win a tournament like this. It, you know, I wouldn't bet a bunch of money on it, but at 9-1, to one, I think with their odds, it's not a horrible bet. Uh, he's got the tools to win this tournament. He hits it long. If he hits the fairways, he's got a serious shot. Everybody knows his iron game is great. Uh, if he can just hit those 10-footers consistently every time, he could – Potentially run away with it, but that's asking a lot out of him. Uh, I have a couple stats here of the last eight rounds, uh, the best performers. Like, they're scored a par at Bethpage Black. Some notable guys on there, like Jason Day. He's number one, he's the number one guy on the list. Tyre Woods, though, comes in at number three, just over 70. Uh, Phil Mickelson right there at four. Uh, And then you get down, you got Bubba Watson, Ricky Fowler, Roy is on there, Dustin Johnson on there, Brant Snedeker on there. All of them are between 70 and 71 on average. So that's what we should be expecting out of these guys. Gotcha. Well, let's get into the tournament then. Uh, Beth Page Black, Long Island, New York.
0: The last two PGA Championships played here, 2009 and 2002. Both finished at five under par or worse. Tiger won here in 2002. After he won the Masters, could be some foreshadowing. Can you imagine what would happen to Twitter in the world if Tiger actually won this major this weekend? I, I I really can't. It may just completely shut down for a day. Uh, what are you all thinking about Beth Page Black? Dustin?
2: It's going to be a bear. I don't know if they'll set it up as, as hard as the US Open. The USGA loves to set it up here in 02 and 09. Um or along with the Northern Trust opens in two thousand twelve and sixteen. I think it'll play a little easier. But I mean you still have to you can't miss you cannot miss fairways here with this rough length. I mean it's it's a brutal golf course. It's gonna be cold. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but it's gonna be cold and windy with the PJ championship up in May. Um it's gonna be a test for sure. Brian, what do you have here? So Bethpage Black is
3: going to play pretty long it's a par 70 but it plays 7400 yards which is very long for a par 70 as Dustin said you got to hit it long you got to hit it straight it's going to be soft it's been raining all week so you're not going to get much carry on these drive or much roll on these drives so you got to carry it Uh, got to hit it long got to hit it straight there's a lot of guys that can do it and that's who I like
0: Dustin what do you think about the climate coming into play this weekend do you think it's going to be a big factor
2: I think it could potentially play a factor. I mean, when you just get on this a golf course of this magnitude, any any element outside of normal can can definitely play a factor. So I think if potentially cold, maybe a little wind. I think they said the rain's pretty much gonna stay away, but wind wind a little wind could play a factor here. Sometimes cloudy golf is just as fun to watch as
0: sunny golf. You know, it just adds a little intensity to it, a little dark feel. You gotta love it. If there's any golfer we need to directly bring up and discuss when it comes to this tournament, it's probably Brooks Kepka, a defending champion of this tournament, two-time defending open champion. The guy's been on fire. If he does successfully defend his title here, he'll be the first player ever to be a two-time defending major champion at the same time of, of two different majors. Remarkable. Only three players have even had the opportunity to attempt what he's about to do. What are your all
3: thoughts on Brooks Kepka in this tournament? Brian. So I like Brooks. He's the type of guy, uh, he thrives under pressure. If that's not obvious by now, then I don't I don't know what to tell you. Uh, every major he shows up, he plays his best in majors. It's honestly unbelievable to watch. He's one of the only guys that I can think of that seriously plays that much better in the big tournament, and that goes a long way. He, he should be high up on the odds. Uh, I like him to win. He hits it far. I
2: hope he doesn't because I got Tiger, but <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, Dustin. How you feeling about Brooks? I I agree with Brian. It's he just hits it too good. This golf course sets up pretty pretty well for somebody who hits it 3 320 down the middle every time and puts it well. It's hard not to see him as the favorite this week with his success in the the majors. I read a stat where since 2016 all Combined score of majors, he's 15 shots better than the next closest. So he's just dominating the field in majors. It's just what he lives for. It's crazy. I mean, he's totally cemented his name in that kind
0: of top five every single weekend when you're looking at odds and who you like to win the tournament. And another positive thing about Brooks is he played this past weekend at the AT&T Byron Nelson and shot 20 under and finished fourth. Just a few days ago, you have to feel good about how he's playing right now immediately for this weekend. Guys, who are some other players who have had success here
2: uh, that you kind of like this weekend? Dustin. Uh, A name I'll throw out there is Gary Woodland. Um, He's had decent success there. I mean, if you look at the stats off the tee, tee to green at Bethpage, so over the years, which is important, knowing the golf course, so maybe Gary Woodland. Gary Woodland. Okay, Brian, you have anybody you want to bring up? Yeah,
3: I want to bring up uh, Brant Snedeker. Not a lot of people think about him. He's a pretty small-time name, but he's actually really good here, and— he hits it long. You never really know. He's kind of under the radar. Probably ridiculous odds, but hey, not a bad I love player. It. If uh, if one of you all win,
0: we're gonna sound really smart. So uh, I hope you guys are right. But let's make some picks, fellas. Uh, when you're betting golf, you can pretty much pick any golfer to match up with any golfer and get odds on it. Very cool. Gives you a way better chance of winning than actually picking just one golfer among the 156 available golfers this weekend when it comes to actually winning the whole tournament.
3: Who's your all's match, play, lock? Brian. So for this one, just for the first round, I'm going to go with Brooks Koepka over Tiger. Uh, Brooks always comes out strong. Tiger sometimes a little slower. Uh, like at the Masters, he started two under, you know, finished stronger, obviously. Brooks started a little hotter, like five under, something like that. So, I and Brooks always starts strong, and he stays strong pretty much the whole tournament, usually in most majors. So, I'm thinking Brooks over Tiger in the first round. Wow, against your guy to start us not off? Not the tournament, not the tournament. Okay, first <laughs> round, I like it. Dustin, what
0: are you thinking here?
2: Uh, I got Brooks Kepka. I found him at plus 105 over Dustin Johnson. Uh, I think getting Brooks Kepka at plus money against. Anybody on planet Earth is a is great value, especially in a tournament like this that fits him so well. Hey, I, I hear you. I it's hard to argue with you
0: guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach a little bit here. I'm gonna go to the old guys. Only two seniors in this event. Uh, Steve Stricker minus 270 to finish with a lower score than VJ Singh. And that's my lock. I'm going to lay the minus 270. He's coming off a win at the region's tradition last weekend. VJ finished 43rd at the same event. Stricker is second on the senior tour in scoring average. Kind of weird, kind of out there, but heavy favorite. I'm taking it. I think it's a lock. Steve
2: Stricker, that's my guy. Sleeper pick. Guys,
0: who do you have? Dustin.
2: My sleeper pick is Adam Scott. Uh, Back in 2016 at Bethpage for the Northern Trust, he came in top four. Um, He also led the field – and strokes gained T to green that year. And when you look at players that won, Tiger led the field of the year he won in 2002. It's just so important at Page to, to hit fair. I mean, you can't stress it enough. Hit it long, hit fairways, T to green, just strokes gained. Okay, okay.
3: Brian, sleeper pick. He's not too much of a sleeper, but I'm going to go with Francesco Molinari because the guy is stone cold. He's coming off that rough outing, that that fourth round of the Masters. Let it go a little bit. I think he'll come back with a little vengeance, probably been thinking about that, practicing a little harder. Not to mention he's already a great golfer, so I think he's got a good chance. I always like him in in pretty much every tournament. He's pretty consistent. Yeah, for sure. Molinari, that fourth round definitely didn't
0: really show how he's been playing lately. And I think that any golfer on the tour could possibly fall victim to that Tiger crowd. And just when you're playing golf, it's rare that the crowd
3: wants you to fail. And when you're competing with Tiger on that last day, that's the feeling that you're faced with. That could explain why that happened. I was so shocked seeing him put that in the water with the guys before him doing it. You know, you'd think he would. Do a little better than that, for sure. I uh, I like Jason Day here. Not a
0: huge sleeper, Brian. You already talked him up a little bit about his, his success at this course. Twenty five to one is great odds for somebody who's been playing quietly, playing pretty well. Uh, he won this event in twenty fifteen, second the next year, ninth the year after that, nineteenth last year. I like Day to hang around and possibly win this thing, guys. Last thing before we get out of here, your pick to win, Dustin. Who do you have?
2: I got Brooks Koepka to go back to back. Um, I, I mean. You just can't argue, can't go against him in these majors. I, I'm I'm tired going against him, going with him. It'd be crazy if he won, though, since nobody's ever done what he's looking to accomplish here. But, yeah, got to think he's a popular pick, but I'm going to ride him. Okay, chasing
3: history. Got to love it. Brian, who's your pick to win? I'm going to talk about a guy we haven't – I don't think we've mentioned him yet. Dustin Johnson, uh, he fits this course perfectly. He bombs the ball probably just as far as anybody. Roy's probably the only guy competing with him. Uh, he's got great irons. Not the greatest putter, but that's okay. He can make it work. Uh, I think it plays well to him. He should he should be in contention for sure. Dustin Johnson, well, we're all playing it safe, guys, because I'm going with Rory McIlroy here. Uh, eight
0: top tens in nine-stroke play events and, and two PGA championships to his name already. I'll take Rory at 11-1 to, to win. Thanks to Dustin, Brian, and Nick Wheatley for today's show. Thanks to O'Shea's, and thank you all for listening. I have something very special coming on Friday. It's probably my favorite thing I've ever done so far, so make sure you all check that out. Until then, TT wild.